Hello to the doorway of three in Costa Rica. <laughs> Hello, everyone, including those you represent. As long as you're aware of what you're aware of, then everybody's welcome. Habet, are you really there? Habet, really, you have to talk to us. You have to tell us how it is. How are you? I'm not going to tell everybody. You have to tell everybody. Yeah, there's a new villager here next to me sleeping. So I'm, I'm trying to not to be too loud. And there's also a new villager over there. <laughs> And another baby. Yeah, I'm super excited. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Welcome. Will you tell everybody her name? Yeah, her name is Somea. Somea is her name. Somea. Welcome, Somea. Thank you. Well, I don't know if anybody else can top that for amazingly good news, but anybody want to give it a try? Anybody have something to share? Yes. Somebody has your hand up. Just go ahead and start talking, please. Yes. Yes, I um, I would like to share great news that today I started my gremlin diet. So I finished writing 50 or a little bit more of things my gremlin likes to eat. And that was quite an interesting discovery channel I was on. And now I'm going on diet and just want to share it and go for it and have a great time fasting and feeding him on Fridays or Saturdays. I'm not sure yet. I think Saturdays the day. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Do you have a you have a buddy for that? Some a partner who who's kind of a an ally in that process? No. Highly recommended. The, the, reason anyone... is, the reason is, is because if it's just you and your gremlin trying to negotiate this, we kind of already know who's going to win. And so it's very helpful to have a third person who's in particular somebody who's been doing this, this work for a while about um, disidentifying or dis. Uh, decontaminating your adult ego state with your from your gremlin ego state. And so if you you could check to see if somebody you were you were sorry I interrupted you. You could go ahead and check. I just wanted to be clear about what's happening here. Yeah, I would love to have someone there. So I will ask him to 
this uh, community is there someone willing to um, support me or walk along with me on this path of decontaminating my my gremlin in this group so yeah, i see mark that'd be great that would be super cool thank you mark, mark. Are, mark are you somebody else's buddy already or is this this is a, a new thing this is a new thing um I tried to participate in the fall and that didn't go very well. I mean, it, the group went off in a different direction, I think. So this is great. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, keep us informed how it goes. There's so much to learn with that, to decontaminate your adult ego state from your gremlin ego state. It's such a powerful survival strategy to put your gremlin forward, to present you know, to face your problems and your conflicts and your things with your gremlin. It, it drove your teachers crazy, it drove your parents crazy, but it prevents you completely from entering the adult ego state now because it's contaminated by the gremlin. So that blocks authenticity, it blocks communicate, you know, relationship, really blocks basically everything. You survive, of course, you survive well, your gremlin particularly survives. So, but you don't actually get to have your life because your gremlin is eating it for you, basically. Thank you. Thanks, Kian. Anybody else? Something else? Yes, we want to share a bit about our adventure here in Costa Rica. I'm with Jeff and Giselle, and we're on this journey and we're just, we just went out of the house with a Jeep and no direction, no real plan. Then the Jeep got broken on the way and we, we switched, we, we got to this place in like next to a volcano somewhere. And it's, it's really wonderful. <laughs> it's like, we really don't know where we're going, no plan, nothing. We're just, just going out there and amazing things are happening, so. Thank you. <laughs> I, you're in the right place. Costa Rica is an amazing place. There's so much to see and so many people and cultures and so many things. Thank you. One more person. That will soon, I have a hidden agenda that will soon have a team of PM aiders that will all go on a road trip around Costa Rica together, or maybe all of Central America. Who knows? <laughs> You're welcome. That's uh, not so secret anymore. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. A pirate chief. A pirate chief. <laughs> I'm on Anybody the road. Anybody else? In... Anything else right now? I'm on the road. Okay, where are you? <clears throat> yeah, I am in Hood River, Oregon, where it's very, very beautiful. On the way to Seattle to see my baby. 
What do you mean your baby? My grandson. Oh, wow. And my daughter. Wow. <laughs> There's quite a community of possibilitators in, in Seattle area. So yes, I know. Really, I encourage you to check that out. Also, there's uh, some people. Uh, uh, I'll think of it in a minute. There's a couple of anyway. Seattle's a really a center. There's a great, great bunch of people around. It'd be great yeah. for you to check some out. That's Just where to, I learned it. I know. I know all those people. Yeah, what's his name? I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. I'll send you one, but you should go bug him too. He's a great guy. He's a great guy over on the island. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I don't think you know this guy yet, but no. you should. Great. Thank you. Okay, then. We started a section 6G about authenticity. And I'd like to start today by sharing my screen with you so that you can take a look at this map of authenticity because it's a very helpful and, and exciting experiment to do. And it, uh, let's see here. What have I got? So I think probably you can pretty much see this Pretty good. I'm going to increase the size here. All right. Oop. A little bit too far. There we go. This map of authenticity. You see this box, and it's divided into three sections. And the sections are fascinating because. Inside of each of us, we have very powerful detectors to determine, even without thinking about it, what are acceptable behaviors and what are unacceptable behaviors. Basically, we've divided into those two categories, acceptable behaviors and unacceptable behaviors. And that's for ourselves. So this is acceptable or unacceptable behaviors for ourselves and also acceptable and unacceptable behaviors from others. And then there's this section here in the middle where we, we probably have spent a good deal of our relationship lives, which is called false acceptance of behaviors. The false acceptance of behaviors inside of ourselves and the false acceptance of behaviors of others. So, so there's nothing really good or bad or right or wrong because about this acceptable behaviors thing. Because what, do we, what we mean by acceptable, it can be defined as comfortable, familiar, um, right behaviors. And these are all determined by our box, our psychological defense strategy. And that's probably made up of uh, rules and concepts and examples from our parents, our culture, education. So in terms of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, there's no moral standard for uh, actually 
determining what's what's a true acceptable behavior and what is a not true or what is a true unacceptable behavior. And so that's a matter of your choice in the moment based on your relationship to the box and everything. Jeff, were you going to say something? Could, could you get closer to the microphone, please? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm having a hard time being present because my, my mind is trying to think of this concept of false denial of behavior. And like, where does, like, I think that fits in there as well. Like, it just doesn't matter. I didn't hear you so well. What I thought you said, what I thought you said was something about false denial of behaviors. Yeah, like like when we don't do things even though we want to, we're wrong, so we don't do it. Okay, makes total sense. It's the same exact kind of thing. Is there? Yeah, you were you were just adding that in. Great. Yeah, I think like I think it's important to like add that into that chunk in the middle. Makes total or sense. Or maybe it's different. No, it makes total sense. Because whether you accept a behavior or deny a behavior, it comes from the same kind of source. And whether it's the point about this is, you know, the point of it is, is it are you accepting it or denying it truthfully or falsely? And so it's this thing to play around with. And so according to this, you can distinguish what's going on for you, because if you're accepting a behavior or denying a behavior that is, you're truly accepting it, like fully accepting it. Like there's no if, ands, or buts about your acceptance. There's no, it's not a, it's not a conditional acceptance. It's actually just an acceptance or you're, you're denying a behavior with also without stories attached, you know, also without making it political, gaming it out, you know, what's your, what's your payoff, what's your benefit, this whole thing. And, the, the, and those would all be reasons for falsely accepting a behavior or falsely denying a behavior. So, so the, basically what this is saying is, is that there's a way to approach your interactions about what works for you and what doesn't work for you authentically. And if you're, if you're accepting or denying a behavior like falsely, it throws you into a, a, way to, a way to have a handle about, a way to approach inauthenticity. And so the experiment that this offers is to start being, to become more authentic, more authentic about like telling the truth about your inauthenticities in those times when you are inauthentic to, to tell the truth about it and, and say, hey, I'm being inauthentic about accepting this. I'm being inauthentic about denying this. So this is a, an experiment to try. It's to test it out in yourself, test it out in your daily life. Where are you being inauthentic and, and you can say, what you can do then is go, hey, I'm, I'm being inauthentic. I'm, I'm being, and that makes you, all of a sudden when you do that, it throws you back into authenticity. 
you become authentic about your inauthenticities, it throws you back into being authentic. And this is a, a, a fantastic doorway to use in, uh, in your relationship experiments. So I wanted to offer that to everybody as a chance to, uh, a gateway or a place to enter and come around. So let's see here, got that. Moving back to trying to move back to getting my screen back together here. Just a second. Okay, any questions or comments about that map? Anything else about that? I have a question. How do I recognize false uh, authenticity from the real one? I'm confused about it. Yeah, I would like, I would invite a couple sharings from other people to sort of come, you know, consider that question. How do you determine whether it's authentic? Mark, go ahead. The observer is a useful tool for this. You have to you be able to see yourself acting in real time without judgment. Mark, can you just say a few more words about self-observation like that? Yes. So self-observation is imagine that you have a videographer photographing everything and you can back up the reel and see what you did almost in real time. And doing that allows you to go, wait a minute, that wasn't really what I meant to say or that wasn't what I really meant to do. And that, which is to say, that was inauthentic. Here's what's authentic for me. Um, the first time you do this, it'll be weeks. You'll be like, man, when I did that two weeks ago, that's why everybody got mad and left. Eventually you can do it yesterday and then two hours ago. <clears throat> and then you get it down to, you know, that thing I just said, that wasn't what I meant to say. I want to change that. And it's because we're so used to being inauthentic, we don't do that. We go for weeks and we just let it go. It's just like, oh, it's no big deal. When you become authentic, you go, that does make a difference. I do need to correct that. That wasn't what I meant to say. Thank you. Thank you. There was also a comment from Naomi that went by, which is a, an indication that we have actual physical, emotional sensations of inauthenticity. That when you, particularly when you lower your numbness bar, you can actually sense the signal coming from your emotional body, your energetic body, even your archetypal body. When you're not being authentic in accordance with your archetypal lineage, for example. You can, you can start noticing this. She said she has a tension in her solar plexus. You might get a chill down your spine or some kind of uh, other tensions that will tell you uh, that, that you're in that moment being inauthentic. But if your numbness bar is really high and if it's very common for you to be inauthentic, then, then the nice girl, nice boy face mask stays on your voice goes into this plastic mode where you're trying to calm everyone down. There's a there's a, a bunch of indicators that can indi that can where you can detect 
inauthenticity as a sensation also. So you can do it with this observation like Mark was talking about, and then these sensations that you can start to detect. Somebody says, I usually feel that in my bones. So it's a deep, it's a deep knowing. And it just takes, you know, it takes the distinction. You can ask yourself the question, is this authentic or is it not authentic? And if you go in your mind about it, it will drive you crazy. But I think if you stay in these sensations, you'll get you'll, it won't take long to build a map for detecting where you are in the map in terms of being authentic or inauthentic. Does that help, Andre? Yes, thank you. It helped me. Yeah, yeah, keep doing experiments. That's great. Any other comments or questions about this map right now? Yes. I, I mean, when I, this thing about how do I sense if I'm authentic or inauthentic? And then my first answer for me was, I feel angry. When I'm inauthentic, there's this deep rage inside of me that uh, it's either that I'm angry at the people who, quote unquote, force me to be inauthentic, <laughs> or I get to be angry at myself for like having failed, failed myself. And then I, I know that in a way, like anger is, is one of my homes also for my, for my box. And I wonder if then does other people feel other feelings? Because for me, it's mainly this uh, like dormant rage that, that is there when I'm inauthentic. Yeah. I would like to add that when I'm authentic, then fear comes up like, oh shit, did I just do that? Because I'm so used to being people pleasing, good girl, inauthentic. So when the authenticity comes out, it's like, oh, it's the roller coaster ride. Oh. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, it's for me. It's like if there, if there's even a slight, like, if authenticity even comes into my awareness, it's like. It's a, probably that I'm. It's not. I'm not being authentic. Like if I'm. If I even have to question myself, or if it even comes slightly in, it's like it's probably I'm that I'm not. And then, and then, like, what's next? Like, what do I do now? You know. Thank you. I think also exhaustion. Exhaustion. Sadness, there you go. Sadness leading to exhaustion, being like, oh, I just gotta take a nap. Yeah. Yeah, I want to. I want to link into that. That when when I when I do when I t talk inauthentically, I don't just feel anger. I feel sadness and I feel fear of having missed the moment. And I actually feel feel probably fear, anger, and sadness. And when I'm authentic, I also feel these feelings, but. It's more of a, it's more of an expanding process, and being inauthentic is like a imprisoned process. Mm. <clears throat> Going Thank back. Thank you, Giselle. <clears throat> yes, and and I also want to add um, that I also feel it in my solar plexus. Plexus is like. My energy uh, out of alignment with 
and giving my power to the situation or the person because I'm not being authentic that I, 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 as Mark said, I need to take a nap or I get a migraine. It's so clear. Um, I feel it, it gets really, really stuck in my solar plexus. Thank you. Yeah, Christina. I also, uh, I also like to, or I also see it as like an energy wave. It's like when I'm not authentic, it's like the energy of the feelings like totally backfires. And then my gremlin jumps onto these feelings and it's all against me instead of moving forward. Mm. And that's, uh, yeah, you can actually see how it's doing this in a space. Thank you. It's almost like authenticity happens in a really small now. It's occurring right in the moment. And that moment, if it slips by, if you are not authentic and it slips by, there's this fear that can come up really quickly about, should I do something or, or should I let it slide? Because the longer you let it slide, the more of a shock it is to bring it back to authenticity. And so it's almost easier and easier when it goes by, but then, then there's this exhaustion thing about, about having this split. Oh my God, I missed the moment. I missed the moment. And I, but, I, but I'm not gonna say anything because I would disturb this space if I bring it back to, to that moment. And so, so there's that fear, this whole fear of shall I disturb things? Because the, the possibility of being authentic is being a disturbing force. There's a possibility that you may be a disturbance to other people's, you know, participation or presence in this. You know, if you need to, if, if you need to contribute something that is that is more authentic for yourself, and yet at the same time the space doesn't seem to be going that way, what do you do about it? Do you stay in the space and be inauthentic? Do you just be quiet? Do you leave the space? Do you attack the space and try to bring it into breakdown so that, so that more people, if you look around and see, well, maybe other people are not being authentic, that, you know, what, or my, are my partners not being authentic? Like, how do you, you take it into breakdown like we were talking about before? So all of a sudden there isn't a rigid flow anymore. There's this more of a, of a chaos and then, then you can get back to authenticity together. There's, there's a lot of options and it's a big deal. I think it's a big deal. Other people have comments right now? Yes. There's also what, it, when you're talking about this, when this moment, when those, when this moment has passed, there's what I have experienced also a danger in it when the gremlin tries to take it over. Mm. The authenticity, because then the shadow side of authenticity gets really big. And then it's used by gremlin saying things right in the space because I'm just authentic. <laughs> I'm just authentic. So I can hurt you because I'm just authentic. Mm. Yes. And if you, let's say you're trying to have a conversation where something like the gremlin is not distinguished in the space. So the, the word is not used, the definition is not used, the understanding about gremlin's function and what it, how it shows up consciously and unconsciously, if that's not used in a space, but it is still occurring in the space, then what do you do? 
you know, then, then it's a even a bigger thing. For me, when, when, for me, when I show authentically, so I just be, I show up. And then it's sort of by, by being that, it sort of creates an invitation for the other part to show up authentically as well. It's not within my responsibility. It's not something that I can force. And so I David, also, yeah. David, here's the question. <clears throat> when you say, when I'm being authentic, I just show up. The question is, which I are you talking about? Which I? This is where this uh, self-observation from that Mark was mentioning, where you start to, to notice and take responsibility for the facets, the multiple identities that you have, the different parts yeah. that you have. There's an amazing website called Parts, parts.mystrikingly.com. It just starts naming the parts that you have. So when you say I, it, and I just show up, well, who's going to show up? Is it your box, your gremlin, your father? you know, your, your hidden agenda, you know, your flirtatious one, who's the one showing up? Good, good question. That's a good question. And that's, I, I would say that's the part that like observes and, and knows to identify those parts and show up as the authentic one, what we call it. I'm, I'm suggesting there is not an authentic one. You suggest this I'm suggesting there is no authentic one. I suggest that we do not have an authentic one. I think, mm -hmm. I think we're such dynamic, creative beings that we have multiple parts and that we have various purposes. And so if we can be clear about our purpose or clear about the purpose of the space that we're holding or clear about the offer that we make, what's the offer that you're making right now? And, that, and there is no one authentic part of ourselves that, I mean, if there were true, we'd have a, a noble president of the United States of America, you know? So if there was a one true authentic one, and I think we're such a combination of parts that, that we can be responsible and more and more conscious and choose in the moment, like which, which part is, which part has a part to play right now. I would like to read uh, part of the book. It's going to review the map a little bit and, and, but I'd like to tunnel, I'd just like to shoot through this part. Did, did anybody want to say anything before I read from the book? I'd like I to ask something. something. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's Naomi and then there's somebody else. So Naomi uh, first. All right. I have a question. Is, do you think it's possible, Clinton, did you say that you could withdraw from a space in order to be authentic? I was, sure, yes. I, I keep that as an option for myself anyway. So I'd say it's quite possible to withdraw from a space as rather than being inauthentic. Is that all? all right, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Andra, go ahead. Mm -hmm. 
I want to ask about this space and this group because I have a suspicion that I'm not authentic here because I'm holding myself back to do, not disturb this space because I imagine if everyone would be authentic in this space and only one can speak right now, it will not work. So my question is what to do about this space? I think that's a great question because there is a protocol for this space to function. And the protocol is only one person gets to speak at a time. And, and so if one person talks too much, then other people cannot speak. And if people just do blah, blah, or share their emotional, unhealed emotional reactivity or do projections, this is not a space for that. So there's, there's a significant kind of protocol that has not been written down as a codex for this space. I would hesitate to do that because I think it's part of a learning process for all of us to discover and participate in the protocol of the space and in fact, co-create the, the protocol of the space so that it works. So it is not, it's not defined as a law or a, as a codex, but it can be discovered. And I think a, a lot of everybody in here is we are co-participating and co-creating that protocol right now. And we're doing it for the, to make the most benefit for everyone here. Okay. I will read a little while in the book. Here we go. I think we started this section, but we did not get very far. But let me just start here. The gateway from ordinary human relationship to extraordinary human relationship is through the bright principle of authenticity. And I think I said before, it's one of the gateways. Authenticity is one of those weighty words we might unknowingly avoid in our casual vocabulary, along with words like commitment, integrity, or accountability. There is no way to wrap our mind around authenticity. We are not trained to endure the intensity of authenticity in our relationships, because with authenticity, the edges of our box are in our face. So what I mean by box is our psychological defense strategy. The, the limits of our, there are limitations of our survival strategy are in our face. We are, we are at the limits of that. Authentic experience is typically too raw for ordinary. We feel embarrassed or uncertain, the same kind of uncertainty we were talking about. It's that you're on this edge, we're mentioning this edge. We do not know what to say because if we knew what to say, it would be authentic. Is that kind of clear? Some people re rehearse their words. If you already know what to say, it's not authentic in a way. So unmitigated presence is not our usual abode. We don't usually live there. So we tend to let authenticity slide by when being together, just like we let time slide by when watching television. The way we tolerate abandoning authenticity is by not cherishing the true value that authenticity creates. The difficulty arises when we observe 
that appreciating relational authenticity often involves experiencing what is commonly regarded as pain. In ordinary human relationship, pain is problematical. Pain meaning anger, sadness, fear, and joy. That's, that's what we're, we're talking about when I say pain. But in ordinary human relationship, in ordinary spaces, a feeling like that is known as pain. In extraordinary human relationship, pain liberates the wisdom and the power of feelings. So that adds this element into the relationship. Authenticity can be explored by examining how we regard the actions of our partner. Some of our partner's actions are acceptable to us. And this applies also to your boss, to your colleagues, to your children, to your neighbors, all that. And some of our partner's actions are accept, and others, other parts of our partner's actions are not acceptable. We assume that we live out our relationship on the basis of accepting or not accepting the actions of our partner, but the truth of the matter may not be so simple. Most probably, there is a third category of ways we regard our partner's behavior. In the third category, we act as if we accept our partner's actions, but in reality, we do not. This new category is called false acceptance. In the area of false acceptance, we are being inauthentic. If you are not authentic about how things are for you, if, if you withhold your own truth, if you, if you can't say what you want and don't want, then you start to live a double life. You start to live a double life. One life you sh show to other people, and one life is secret, perhaps even secret to yourself. I know a man who was inauthentic in his marriage for 25 years. Why would someone be inauthentic? Why would this man go along for a quarter of a century pretending to accept things that in fact he did not accept? Such behavior is crazy. Such behavior would indicate a tendency toward pathological lying. Pathological lying means to lie when you don't even know that you're lying. It just lies come out. So inauthenticity is, is pretty much the equivalent of pathological lying. There's an equivalency there. What reasons would a man use to justify misrepresenting himself to such a great degree? For that matter, why do some women stay with husbands who beat them or husbands who flirt with other women? Why do some men stay with wives who psychologically torment them? The answer is simple and also frighteningly common. We continue the patterns of our childhood. What we're, the reason we would do this is because we continue to play out these patterns that we made normal from our childhood. To endure the circumstances of our childhood, we often became inauthentic by continuously accepting the unacceptable behaviors of our parents.
or the unacceptable circumstances of our life. Our inauthentic acceptance became deeply habitual, even unconscious. If we marry someone who is like our mother or father, parentheses, and who does not, end parentheses, then it is likely that to some degree our partnership will invisibly include the same inauthentic acceptance that we have performed our whole life, accepting what's not acceptable. Until we gain a bigger perspective about what we are doing, we may habitually continue our false acceptance of our partner's behaviors. We, we may have, to some degree, hated how our parents related, but we may be duplicating that behavior ourselves. I just want to say here that somehow whoever wrote this book was trying to open cans of worms. It's called opening a can of worms. You know, every single can of worms that the author discovered, he opened them up and dumped the worms on the table. So then they squirm around and it goes, ah, worms. Now, this is, I don't know if this is a metaphor in any other language beside English, but to open a can of worms means, you know, you could leave the can of worms closed. And what do you have then? You have a closed can of worms. And so the, the, the way this work goes, the way this becoming aware of what we are not aware that we're not aware of goes, is helping each other open these can of worms, these cans of worms that are inside of us, that we didn't know that were, they were shut. We didn't even know they were there probably. At the same time, having these worms inside of our unconscious world is a burden. It's a cost. It, and the worms leak out somehow in the most unexpected moments and they do their work. And so this whole is a whole procedure of facing into what is, is almost unthinkably painful to face into. And, and yet there's a way that, that that lightens things up. I don't know, there's really a way that this works. So I just wanted to add this comment. What, you know, it's almost like, gosh, we're, you know, we're, we're going to move into this part of the book of, that's extraordinary. <clears throat> what are we doing? We're looking at extraordinarily painful things and that and to put them on the table and to consider them and talk about them and and free ourselves up from having to hide those things anymore there's there's something in doing that and so so i'd like is there any questions or comments about what we just read there on saturday i on saturday i had a healing process and i observed that this, that since I was six years old and uh, I've been choosing relationships that mimic the relationships I've been in since my childhood, even though they didn't serve me. And the ground dropped out from below me. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, yeah, just, it's the, the bandaid is ripped off 
and and more than that and and the machines have been pulled out more machines and and um, it's 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 so wild to observe how i chose something that wasn't of service simply because it's what i knew and and how long and and reading about this man who stayed in a marriage for 25 years, I did the same exact thing because this is who I was supposed, this is what life is supposed to be like. And, and, and it's beyond that. But right now that, you know, I'm still in that, that state of just being raw and open. Yeah. Thank you, Shannon. Just to be, clear the man who stayed in the marriage for 25 years was me that's the one i know andra i want to ask about the pain you read something about the pain what it really is and i would like to hear more about it what pain really is the word pain in ordinary English language in ordinary spaces usually refers to emotional pain. So if you, if you suppress or repress anger, sadness, fear, or joy, or the mixed emotions like jealousy, guilt, shame, aggression, greed, revenge, all those things, those are experienced as pain they're classified as pain. So in, in next culture, in archiarchy, in the thought where of possibility management, we distinguish the thought on and culture uses the thought and the feelings, which classifies anger, sadness, fear, and also joy as painful and bad and dangerous and indicating that something is wrong. And we're experimenting in the culture and possibility management with using a new map of feelings in which anger, sadness, fear, and joy are unmixed. I lost you, Clinton. Then we can't hear you. Thank you. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you for the feedback. Yeah. So I was just explaining how modern culture, I mean, uh, next culture, archiarchy, the culture of the radically responsible thoughtware from possibility management, uses a new thought map of fields in which anger, sadness, fear, and joy are used archetypally. They're used from the adult ego state as energy and intelligence resources for living our lives, their guidance systems or compasses. And so that's very different from ha having them called pain. So, so whenever somebody uses the word pain, I just say which, there are four kinds of pain, anger, sadness, fear, and joy. Which kind of pain are you talking about? So that's what we're talking about. Does that help? 
Yeah, thank you. I think that I need to explore it more to gain more experience about it. Now I know the direction. Thank you. There's a bunch of ways to explore that. There's a book called Directing the Power of Conscious Feelings, which is a lot about that. There's online rage clubs. And for you, I would recommend that. There's also expand the box training, which is a three to five day uh, in-person experience. Some that also is offered online these days. Those are many ways to get a good experiential grip on what it is that we're talking about. And I encourage you to go ahead to do that. It's really important, my opinion. Was there somebody else who was going to say something about the parts we just read? Yeah, Dor. Yeah, I want to share that I have, sorry guys, uh, that I have sadness about my inauthenticity, that inauthenticity of, of me, my gremlin, taking advantage a lot of time of other people inauthenticity. And as like, since I was a child, I could see that in other people and I could use that as a pressure point on them to either get them to stop bullying me or just like take advantage of them. And I, my gremlin is still doing that. And now it just came to me that like the, there is a whole industry is built on that. It's like, we are not in authenticity with our, um, you know, with our body like just feeling that we're beautiful as we are. And then there's a whole industry that support that to make us buy all these perfumes and stuff. And I, even the church, I think is, is like building on your guilt from being inauthentic. Mm -hmm. So they're building on that and they like you need go to the priest and say sins are about that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to um, add something more because on, on Saturdays I have this uh, called deep chit-chatting with a woman called Christina and this week we were looking at um, the relationship that like how we or how yeah her and I and so I'll, I'll say I, I I have seen my parents behave in a certain way in relationship and therefore that's that's how I think it, it goes and it's what you were sharing Sh Shannon of like this um, there's a way that we or like I've seen inauthenticity being played out and and thinking oh that's how it goes like that's that's relationship and, and mapping onto this inauthenticity and then what I realize is that there's also um, cultural inauthenticity and and there was two topics that really came up <clears throat> is for me it was about sexuality and and this is a conversation I had with Kay about this for example, an inauthenticity that it is seems to be played out in so many like patriarchal relationship is the entitlement of men to receive sexual reward and the obligation of women to give to give it to to men. And how before I had that distinction, I 
I could feel like I would just play out this innocenticity because I thought that's how the world goes, like that's how sexuality goes. And and the other one that we we discovered was about money and how this whole, the man has to be the provider and the woman has expect the men would expect the men to be this provider of resources and 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 the woman can stay at home or and and the even the ex, yeah i mean the expectation on one side from the woman and then the men needing to be this provider to to be a man like to to, to be a man in a relationship and and i think there's like it, it goes on at so many like edges of relationship of Okay, how much cultural inauthenticity are we are we playing out, or am I playing out? And in, in yeah, in this particular case, it was like primary relationship or romantic relationship. And Chloe, what would you what would you say as pathways for people to go on? in terms of extricating themselves from this, for example, the patriarchal uh, sexual relationship, like how, how would you, what experiments can people do to get out of that? Well, I think the first is to I mean, for me, my own path was I needed to have the distinction. <laughs> like I needed to get, oh, there is an inauthenticity at that level of sexuality or money or power or, um, or I mean, I can even think of like, how do we decide if we move, if we move cities? Like who decides that? How does the decision-making happens in a, in a relationship? And, and, whatever to get that there's an inauthenticity and then it's for me it really helps me to be around people who don't play it out and to see oh god it's possible that there's another way to 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 go around things and so i mean so visiting other culture for me has been a really big like eye opening of how how relationship can can go and mm, I mean, for example, in this about sexuality is, okay, let's, maybe that's a path. It's maybe let's imagine that, okay, we don't know how to have sex. Like I, don't, I actually don't know how, how to have sexual intimacy. I don't know how to, uh, what it's like to um, negotiate money or, or, or source my resources of money. Like, I don't know. And then being in this space of, I don't know. And it, I think it takes a lot of then, for me, it's like a lot of speaking, like, okay, this is what's happening for me, like right now. And can we try this? Okay, actually, I don't want this. Let's, maybe can we try this? Or do you have an idea? Or, but it, I think this like going back to zero, it's, yeah, this, trying to find a place like the, the, like in the feelings, you know, you go up with anger or fear at high intensity, and then you go back to zero, which is like the neutral position and how to find this point of start over zero neutral position. And okay. And then 
we can go anywhere from here or I can go anywhere from here. So, yeah. so I'd just like to say that going back to zero position, going back to zero instead of trying to solve the problem. Like there's so much when there's this, this conflict going on, this reactivity going on, there's a, a discussion going on, you're trying to agree or disagree or understand you can really get lost. And it, then there's this reactivity about you're trying to understand the understanding and not getting it. And then, and then there's, you know, three days go by, a week goes by with this tension between people <clears throat> and it's willingness to just fall in, back apart into the zero. It's to not knowing kind of anything. It's like a, a rapid start over mode. And if you can develop a rapid start over function in your first yourself, you just go, you just get off it. You get off everything, get off. I have to understand. I have to, I have to tell you my side. I have to be right. I have to be wrong. I have whatever the have to is. You can just drop this whole thing, take a breath, go back to zero. There's tears. There's this really, it feels there's nothing to stand on back at zero. There's, you're not standing on anything. But what's there is connection. What's there is another being. And so if you can both back off, that would, that's a fabulous uh, procedure to develop when, what, on this kind of a journey, I think, is to, is to essentially learn how to go back to zero, which means groundlessness. It means it isn't like there's a starting point. It's like there's a back to floating, go back to floating. Thank you, Jeff. You had your hand up. Well, yeah, I heard. I heard you share that you, were, you have a question. Can you guys hear? No. Jeff, Jeff, you need to get close to the microphone. You need to get sh shout louder and get close to the microphone. We can't hear you. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. So, so what I'm what I'm saying is that I heard and Chloe, I heard you say that you you have a discussion with this other person once a week, and you guys sort of question structures together. And then I I heard you say that you ask and Chloe for strategies, and it sounds to me like the strategy is like partner with someone and start questioning structures together, like like go on a structure questioning thing together and then and then even stack on top of that like start playing out different versions of reality to see i, I just wanted to add that in here because I, I don't i think it went by a little nuanced thank you i'm not sure it landed in this space but because of the technical things, but uh, thank you. I can say if it in one sentence. It. I can say it in one sentence. What I think I got from Jeff is that you you ask me for strategies like pathways in terms of facing into this cultural inauthenticity, and one of my strategies that I'm actually doing with Christina is to meet and have this conversation about what are the inauthenticities that are going on, and so having a. a a team, like having somebody or a team to, mm. to go into that. 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yes. I have a question. Go ahead. So my question is, does it, um, being authentic, does it mean that I create intimacy? Or is it, does the authenticity percept, uh, perceived by the other person, does it mean that they feel drawn into intimacy? In my experience, Christopher, if I'm authentic, it can also freak people out. So it doesn't necessarily create, I don't know exactly what you mean by intimacy, but there's not, it is not a strategy for creating intimacy because it, it isn't, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. I mean, like I, like somebody asked, is, um, is authenticity a strategy? Is, if I'm going to be authentic, does that mean I have the option to leave the space? Does it mean I have the option to leave the relationship in a way? So then it's the opposite of intimacy. Does that help? Uh, you know, in this next section of the book, I would, I would, I would read a little bit more right now because you, you just basically asked the question but in a minute, we'll read, we'll read some more. It's about denial. Okay. Is that okay for now, Christopher? Good. Mark? Uh, distinction. For me, authenticity is being intimate with myself. It's being true with myself as opposed to if I'm not authentic, if I'm not true with myself, it's going to have a dramatic effect on everybody who interacts with me. They're going to be relating to somebody who I'm not. And so if I change that, then they're going to reject often the new person who actually might be more me. So. I mean, you're begging this question of what self are you talking about? It's this you know, okay, I'm going to be intimate with myself. Well, which self are you talking about? Your box, your gremlin, your habits, your fears, your old decisions, your projections. My archy-archy self. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I keep bringing that up because it's so easy in a conversation like this to go, oh, yeah, be true to yourself. And everybody goes, oh, yeah. And then they write it down on a paper and stick it on their refrigerator with a big magnet. And then it, as if it means something, you know, as if. That, and so it's like, hey, we're not that's not this conversation. This conversation is more difficult than that. And to go in the illusion of having a self when actually the concept of self seems easy to understand, but may have no relationship to reality. You know, it could be just one of these, uh, you know, a black cat crosses your path, you know, and you're gonna have bad luck or something. It's gonna be one of these um, superstitions. You know, I have a self that might just be a superstition. And, and so even that's on the table in terms of, of not just pattering on about common concepts that people 
don't question. So I'm, I'm asking us to question that. Yeah, so being true to myself, what the heck does that mean in a space like this? So, so we're on this journey. So I'm, I'm really, put, I want us to put that on the table. And, you know, I have to say this. There, there are conditions in a human being that we've been noticing. Well, here's what's happening. In the last few years, possibility management has become more and more safe. And I think it comes out of the, the amount of clarity, the attentiveness, the noticing, the, the care, something like that. And, it, and, the, and the, the spaces that we're holding have become safe enough for a different kind of person to start coming to the trainings. And so we're, we're having to deal with this, which is people are starting to come to trainings who are not fully incarnated. They're not fully inhabiting their five bodies. And what we're figuring out is this is a survival strategy. Try to think about this. It's like, if I do not fully inhabit my five bodies, then I am inherently weak or broken. I'm not whole. I'm, I'm fundamentally incapacitated. I cannot really be present or accountable. And so you have to take care of me. And so I control you by not being fully incarnated. I control the people around me because I'm not fully responsible for being here myself. So you have to take care of me. It is a survival strategy. And there are people starting to come to trainings using this survival strategy. And it's a whole new game for us because it's safe enough for these not fully incarnated people to come in and, and have a chance to incarnate, to have a chance to go through this incarnation process more completely because they don't need, the, they discover to not need. You can discover that you're 18 years old. You actually can, you, you have the capacity for presence and connection far beyond what's given to you by your survival strategy. And, and so this is a, it's an amazing process. So a lot of the conversations that we have here in this space are about entering groundlessness. So Pema Chodron is a famous female Tibetan Buddhist teacher, has this quote, it's the nature of reality is groundlessness. The nature of reality is groundlessness. And it's like, okay, like what the heck does that mean? But what it means is an invitation to, to not have to stand on anything to relate. That I don't have to have a position. I don't have to have a, a knowledge. I don't have to have a, even a defense strategy if, in order to relate. So, so the, you know, the, God, what is it? The American way, whatever, is to have a system, a method, a knowing, a procedure, um, uh, 
a degree in how to relate and then we can have a good life okay and so so here we are throwing kind of letting that stuff fall off at just like a placenta you know let it fall off and the, what's what is there then and what's there then is a lot more possibility there's also a lot more responsibility and there's also a lot more relatability and there's a lot more danceability and dynamic ability there's a lot more playability there's a lot more flexibility so there's there's a lot more possible when there isn't a method or there isn't a right way but that leaves it all back on us and then it's like okay so who's who's going to drive like who who we're over here and who's going to drive this thing and so then it's more like kind of like well not my gremlin not my habits not the voices in my head not my mom not my dad not the church you know not not the president not a corporation like this we start eliminating drivers who are we going to let drive our life well you just you start eliminating those and what are you left with then it's what you're left with a whole lot of options in every moment and then and then there's this okay well what's at work here well this is where we enter extraordinary spaces and so back that's what i mean by back to zero go back to zero no imperatives you know i have to have it this way i can't have it like this and that's i think what ann chloe was starting to mention in particular in her case with the sexuality she was talking about it's like if you watch tv or you watch anybody whatever there's all these this way of sexuality there's all this kind of like how it's supposed to go and 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 it's like okay and what if it's all just fake what if that's all hollywood what if it's all um fiction it's a uh, it's what if it's neurotic what if it's all neurotic what if it's pl plastic or um you know made for profit what if it's you know what there's all okay if if we can let go of enough of of the imperatives or drivers and at the same time get out of denial about the stuff that's which i is talking which i wants to talk what am i afraid of what am i afraid of now what am i afraid of now what's the fear about now what's it telling me what can i use it for what do, what do i need right now what do i want right now which i needs this right now and it's not about going crazy it has nothing to do with that you know if you ever you know we can drive a bicycle you go on a bicycle you ride a bicycle well riding a bicycle is um, impossible it's so it's it is a non intellectual endeavor because it's a sensual endeavor it's done by um being one on one with the laws of physics and with reality and that's how you ride a bicycle and if you get into a, some concept or theory about riding a bicycle you just crash you know the thing falls over because you're not paying attention to the slippery dog poop on the sidewalk or the train tracks or that it's the sidewalk is wet now and it used to be dry and has a different coefficient of friction in either case or your tire has a a nail in it whatever so so what we're talking about is using 
the vaster, more complex field of experiential reality to navigate the moment-to-moment -moment relatedness and the possibilities, and then, and then, you know, what for? Like, what are you? What are you doing this for? Are you doing it to please a part of yourself or to please a part of them? And all of a sudden, you're being inauthentic again. If you're trying to please mommy or please daddy or please the authority or or show up in a certain way, God. You know, it sounds really complex. And the whole point of it is, is it's the opposite of that. It's like the op. So, so, but the techniques, it's like, it's like um, a lot of the emotional healing processes that we're doing right now, a lot of them have to do with removing blocks. And, it, and it's like, okay, why did we put the blocks in? First of all, it is us who put the blocks in. Whatever they are, we put them in. Why did we put them in? to survive. Why did we have to survive? Because we did not have the power and responsibility and authority as children to survive without those parents around us. We would not have made it. So we have to be victims for the first 18 years of our life. We're born into this victim situation where we've got to do whatever it takes to survive. Okay, and so, but when that time is over, then we have enough matrix inside of ourselves to stand in the world as a co-creator, but we're stuck inside of this survival strategy. And so how do we, so, so a lot of the healing process to get out of this survival strategy has to do with removing blocks. The thing is, if you don't remove the block, the block remains there. It's a physical energetic object. It has a consequence. After you remove the block and your system reorders to its more original shape, then, then you have this more freedom of movement. And so it's about taking out 10 or 20 or 30 blocks that, you, that we put in over time. It's not an infinite number. And as soon as you take off some of them, life seems suddenly completely different. And then the next block is suddenly completely different. And if you keep removing the blocks, then, then you get this, then you're entering what I'm talking about. And so mm, I don't think, I mean, and Chloe and I are working on this book. It's called Naked Without a Plan. And it's, this is exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. It's how, what is it to be naked without a plan? This, I mean, and for most of us, it's the most terrifying thing that we could possibly imagine. No plan, no strategy, vulnerable, exposed, visible, seen, recognized, experienced. And so, so what is it that makes us afraid? of being naked without a plan. And it's go, well, God, dad's gonna look over my shoulder and he's gonna say, you're not being effective. You know, you're not busy enough. Haven't, don't you see there's work to do? You know, there's, there's so much of this kind of stuff around. And yet it's, all of that stuff is completely unnatural. That, those are all those blocks, all those voices, all those structures are not the human state. They're not the human adult condition. The free and natural adult woman or man is without that stuff. And so, okay. So 
so how do you get there? Well, it's you, you got to dig through the mud to get to the sky. This is what my teacher Lee Lazowick used to say. He used to say, you got to dig through the mud to get to the sky. Well, you think it's the opposite. You think you have to fly up into the air to get to the sky. You know, well, there are there are traditions that try to do that. You know, the meditative tradition, you kind of meditate yourself into enlightenment and that all the mud stays there and you go somewhere else. Well, you guys, for some reason, aren't. This is not one of those traditions. This is the tradition of mud slogging. We're doing mud slogging. And it is what's amazing to me, what really shocked me was it doesn't go on as far as I thought. It isn't as deep as I thought. It takes a few layers, and, and, then, and then all of a sudden, these this sparks of light start shining through. You know, and anyway, that's, this, is what we're, this is the path we're on. This is what we're doing here. Any questions or comments right now? Thank you, Mark. I heard you anyway yourself, and it's not in any way. It's, this is so important. And, and it's, it's that it's taking that step from, from needing to have the knowing, needing to have the plan, and then like just fully, fully feeling and being supported by the groundlessness and the unknowing. Let it like be being there. There's no like the, being there and, and, and allowing, like that's what's happening for me is allowing myself to be supported by the groundlessness of unknowing. what's happening and it's a choice it's a choice in every moment to come back to this instead of clinging on to that 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 need to know thank you and i the moment passed but i also wanted to acknowledge what aunt chloe said about about the money and the sexuality. And that's what my healing process was about with Patricio on Saturday. And, and I saw that I, he, the day before I said in a healing process, I don't want a man in my house. I don't want a man entering my body. And it's not that I don't want that. It's I don't want it the way that it used to be. And, and even the receiving of money is very vulnerable that receiving, I don't want it. I don't want it the way it used to be. And I don't want there to be tentacles and expectations. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that, that, that old way of being with money. I want to, to discover a new way of, of receiving it and exchanging it and, and in being relationships. Thank you. Thank I've, you. I've read a book from Pema Schilderin, and I remember the thing about the groundlessness and what she also says, what, what stuck with me is to go neither left nor right, but take the middle path. So in relationship, my box strategy is to just cling to the other person and just do everything with, with her. And my gremlin strategy is to isolate. It's to like the left and the right. I can either isolate and go 
in complete disconnection or I can just hang on to and be everything. So it's like all or nothing. And what do I do when I do neither? So what's, what's, the, middle, what's the middle way in whatever, whatever I do? I, 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 have it with, I have so many examples where I, where I go like in two extremes and yeah, what's, what's the middle way? This is where I find my groundlessness, where I'm standing on the edge somehow and can fall to left or right and just don't know how to do the next step without falling to either side. Thank you. Uh, I got inspired by what you said, Clinton, and I want to emphasize what you said about the placenta when you said let it go. I, um, I want to say that it's not just about letting it go. It's like really like pushing it out. And what you said about the bicycle, uh, uh, like riding a bicycle is, is, is something that you do with your sensation, not so much with your intellectual. It's also ir irrational to, mm -hmm. to let go of a placenta. Like it's something that your mind will tell you, but this thing was nourishing me. And, but the mm -hmm. thing is that at a, at a certain point, it, it can be a problem for your body. Same thing that was nourishing and helpful can be can can cause trouble to your body if it stays and so for me it's what i see is also doing something like going against what common sense would tell you to do on purpose something very muddy or like yeah giving birth <laughs> is a very messy thing to do <laughs> and yeah, and to do that on purpose, that's, um, I think that's the, the, where the shift starts. Thank you. Yeah, the box, this whole box as a placenta has not been explored enough. And I've usually explored the box as a, like an eggshell from a chicken or a chrysalis from a butterfly but it's really exactly like a placenta. Wow, thank you. Yeah, Janet just says we eat our placenta. I happen to be a very excellent placenta cook myself. <laughs> cook them up with onions. So, mm, but yeah, the box needs to be eat. I mean, eaten, that's this, is this picture of this, this alchemical, the alchemist picture of the snake eating its own tail. There's a lot about that. It's exactly the procedure to eat the box. You have to eat your box. And it, the way you eat it is you digest it, you notice it, you take it apart into its useful components. Because it's, you don't, it's not something to got rid, gotten rid of. It's a valuable thing, the, that box. Your survival strategy is full of tools and full of skill that you that are available for the rest of your life as long as you're not stuck inside of it like that yeah who you there i just wanted to add that it takes presence to that 
actually like constant presence. Like if I'm not present, then I'm just falling back into my survival strategy. It happened to me in the beginning of this call. I was like, because we just had lunch, breakfast, something. And I was like half asleep when I logged in. And so someone was saying something and everyone was doing that. And I just did that. And I was like, I didn't even really get what the person was saying. Why am I doing that? And then I just <laughs> like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna land here and get here. And so it takes like constant presence. Like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. For your possibility team, this become present website, becomepresent.mystrikingly.com is full of really great experiments for becoming present. And it's so important to practice. It's so, it's so similar to becoming centered. It's really part of the same. Clinton uh, and everybody, I in a liquid state a few months ago, I created a map and the map doesn't have a name yet. And I've had a, I've been wanting to share this map for a while and I've had fear about it. And I didn't know how to actually create it on the paper, let's say, because it's a multi-dimensional map and I'm not an artist. And I was invited because I mentioned it in a PM team, I was invited to share it last week. And I, went, I really went to the edge because the space holders that trusted me to share the map called me the day before to have a briefing about what I was going to do in their team. And I explained the structure and I still didn't have the map proper. Then here uh, with these beautiful friends, I also shared about the map and now it went all over the place because I opened it up to conversation. And the night before the PM team, I couldn't sleep and I, authentic, I became authentic. This is the map the way that it is, completely groundless and yeah, not linear and all of that. And so the next morning, <laughs> I just went ahead and did it the way that I wanted to or that my being in, in an authentic way and wasn't scared and, I, and it worked. And uh, yeah, I wanted to share that I was very close to not being authentic and, and had all this tension and pressure. And in the end I was, and it worked. I had a lot of feedback around that. I'm very glad to share that. I went completely groundless. Thank you for listening. Thank you. I'd like to read some more. I'm on page 130, section 6H, about denial and drivers. Denial is not this river in Egypt, something different from that. Obtaining a PhD in psychology will not guarantee that you have a working relationship. Yet still, some clarity is revealed about how a person could accept unacceptable behaviors for 25 years when we investigate two particular box mechanisms, denial 
and drivers. So these are two different mechanisms that occur for us. What is denial? In short, denial is refusing to acknowledge the existence or the severity of unpleasant external realities. Denial is this refusal to acknowledge the existence of something. You go into this denial. It's very clearly associated with fantasy worlds. Fantasy world not being necessarily you know, childhood fairy stories, but a fantasy world is, I'm not okay. I'm not okay is a fantasy world. It's a complete fantasy world. And to go into that fantasy world and live in the world and in your relationship with other people as if you are not okay, you are living in a fantasy world. And it's very closely connected to denial. You're denying the reality that I am not okay is a meaningless story that you have attached. You have evidence to support your story and you get a payoff, particularly your gremlin gets a payoff for living in the story world, I'm not okay. So denial is a box generated defense strategy for refusing to acknowledge the existence or the severity of unpleasant external realities, conflicting thoughts or disturbing feelings to just act as if it isn't that way. Denial can continue indefinitely because we have no idea at all what we are in denial about. See, dogs, horses, whatever, chickens don't have denial. Nobody, human beings have denial. And so this, we can concoct, we can create in our own mind, this refusal to accept something because we have no idea at all we, about what we are in denial about until we suddenly come out of denial about it. How many people have had that experience of coming out of denial about something? Do you ever have that? You were in complete denial about something, you had no idea, and all of a sudden you come out of it and go, whoa, yeah. So it's like coming out of a dream. We may have no idea that in fact we are dreaming until we awaken from the dream. This is like denial. Imagine that your story about yourself, that you, you know, the reason you use to hate yourself and beat yourself up and criticize yourself and judgmentalize yourself and, and be not okay. Imagine that that is a dream. It's just a, it's a dream, a fairy story. And then who would you be if you woke up out of that dream? What would it be like to not be in that dream anymore? To not be in the dream that you're not good enough, to not be in the dream that you're insufficient or not okay, not perfect enough. And that bubble pops, then what? With dreams, the awakening from denial can be sudden and rude. Rude means impolite. 
not gentle, can be a shock to wake up from the dream. So to wake up from the dream that you've been beating yourself up for no reason. Actually, you've been beating yourself up to disempower yourself so that you don't scare the people around you. The wide variety of ways that your box goes into denial exhibits the box's vast resources of creativity. And it's so incredible how creative we are coming up with these ways to put ourselves into denial. Mechanisms for creating denial are rich and dynamic. One typical mechanism for entering and staying in denial was described by Dr. Eric Byrne, who is the founder of transactional analysis. And he called it a driver, quote unquote driver, which means a force inside of us that drives us, pushes us. Drivers are behavior engines. Get that? A driver is this thing that causes a certain kind of behavior in us. Box's idea is that if we fulfill the imperative of the driver, then we will survive. That's what, the, that's what the mechanism is. It's like, if I do this, if I complete this driver, if I fulfill the driver, I will survive. Eric Byrne labeled, he distinguished five different drivers. Be perfect. How many people have that as a driver in your life? Be perfect. Okay. Then you get a sense of what is meant by a driver. This driver is this force that, it, that really pushes you. It's like a neurotic force. And you think it's real. For some reason, we assume that it's real. Whatever this force is, to be perfect, we assume it's necessary for our survival. And so we, we don't even question it. We don't even talk about it in public. How's your, how's your perfection neurosis going this morning? Are you at level seven or are you level three? How's it going? Like, we don't, we don't even talk about it. It's just assumed everybody around is going to try to be perfect. And, we're, and we don't even question it. It's so amazing, these drivers. Please the external authority, to please the external authority. You look around, you find the external authority, and you behave in whatever way it takes to please the external authority. Anybody have that one? Please them. Please the authority. Anybody have that one? You might have all five. So let's take a look here. Here's another one. Try hard. At least make it look as if you're trying hard. Even if you aren't really trying hard, create the theater to try to convince those people that you are trying hard. How many people have the try hard one? It's a driver. Can you feel it? It's this invisible force pushing you. Could be completely neurotic, completely insane, really. You know, but it's, but it, and we don't even question it. Gotta try hard, have to just wake up, try hard, go to bed. This is a, this driver things are just nutso. And we have these things. So, so just think of this 
underworld journey Dr. Eric Byrne must have taken to find these drivers will wait. You'll discover he didn't quite go far enough. But anyway, okay, so far we have be perfect, please authorities, try hard, be strong. How many people have the be strong driver? Be tough, hang in there. Yeah. God, you guys are just like me. Okay. All right. And there's one more. Hurry up. Hurry up. God, how many have hurry up? It's so amazing. Hurry up. Get it done. Go fast. Finish. Get to the next thing. Check it off your list. Make it fit. Make it. I mean, we're living on this little tiny island. I mean, this island is out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. There's nothing out there. And you get on the road and these guys be, you know, come up right behind you in the car, you know, as if there's some place to go on this island. I had this movie. I, I made a movie. I was in Bali somewhere and I was at this little cafe. You have big ants in cafe, really industrious ants, these little ants, black ones. So there was this, there was like a pole, there was like a cup. There was this cup. And you see these ants, like four, five, six of them, they're going, <laughs> they're going all the way around this. And then they disappear behind this pole. And about two seconds later, they come back around the other side and they go, <clears throat> they're still going, you know? And then they come around again and they come around again and they go, look, here's a trail. This is the way, you know, the ants, they can detect these little smells on the trail. They have to tell you which way to go. So they keep making this trail and they keep smelling their own trail. You, this is the way to go. This is the way to go. And they're all day long, they're going around on the top of this cup as if they're getting somewhere. You know, I go, gosh, they're almost human. So, so these are these five drivers, okay? Be perfect, please authorities, try hard, be strong, and hurry up. So these are... He, we figured out that these are the what look like actually positive drivers. Those are the ones that he identified. But actually, uh, they 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 deliver the appearance of responsibility. It looks as if you're being responsible. You do those drivers, people go, ah, there's a responsible employee, there's a responsible daughter, there's a responsible husband. You know, you do. It's, a, it's like this game to sh put on the show and people can detect it, whether you're being responsible or not. Eric Byrne neglected to name the equal number of frequently used negative or irresponsible drivers. So check these out. Instead of be perfect, here's this driver called make a mess leave a mess, make chaos, be a problem, be sloppy. And so you just it kind of create this chaos. Anybody have this driver? It's a, this is a gremlin driver. This is a revenge driver. This is a thing where you make a mess for other people to clean up and you don't give a shit about it. How many people have this driver? Make a mess. Okay, thank you. Attack authorities. Instead of pleasing the authorities, you attack authorities, undermine authorities, prove the authorities wrong, argue with the authorities. 
Anybody have that one? Reject the authorities. Okay. <laughs> These are the same neurotic, the same neurotic thing. It was like Gabriel was saying, you know, on the one hand, you, what was it? On the one hand, you do this. And on the other hand, you do, can, Gabriel, can you say it again? Yeah, for in relationships, I, on the one hand, my gremlin isolates and my box just clings to the other person. Yeah, those two. So this is the same with these drivers. It's the same kind of thing. And thank you. And so make a mess, attack authorities, don't try at all. Instead of try hard, you just go, let somebody else do it. Blah. Don't try at all. Let it just. Everything just kind of hangs around. Nothing happens. You just kind of bleh. don't try at all. Anybody have this driver? <laughs> all right. And instead of be strong, fail. Be weak. Be 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 like uh, not accountable. Be make it so that people cannot count on you. you. You put up the show, don't even try to count on me. You're gonna, you know, it's, a, it's worthless to try to, anybody have that driver? And the other one is, the last one is, instead of, instead of hurry up, it's be late. Just be late, come a few minutes late, don't really care about the time, be slow, be, ignore, ignore the consequences. Anybody have that driver? Just, yeah. Okay, so these things are these forces. Contemplate these drivers for a moment. So drivers are not actually responsible or irresponsible. They are simply our box's preferred survival mechanism. So it's a neurosis. Any of these drivers are neurosis. So it still bothers me. This still bothers me because, you know, I, I made up this whole strategy for surviving to be a good boy, please people, like all this. And then I catch myself, you know, trying hard, hurrying up, you know, doing this shit. And I go, oh, God. Okay, why am I really doing this? What is it really about? What do I really want to do? You know, and it's like, okay, forget it, forget it. I love being, I love being neurotic. I'm gonna hurry up and try hard and be strong and be perfect. I mean, no, no, no. This is a fucking driver. This is like, oh God. So I hate these things. So I hope you I hope you learn to hate them also because then they stay in your awareness. And Chloe. Yeah, I was I was realizing how I'm starting to hate them too. I never read this part of the book because there's also now I realize like, and I know it's like my opposite neurosis. I get it, but those maybe new age workshop that it's about oh love yourself and be be slow as yourself and don't care about whatever other people think or. And it's it's just the 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 next like the um, flip coin of it's also neurosis like this rule about being slow or, or not caring or like being this natural and um, 
free and natural child who makes messes and just don't clean them up. And, and then, and then I'm like, okay, I get it. It's like, it's completely neurotic and that's why I hate it. But then like, especially in possibility management, it's so easy to fall into this first neuroticism of like being a perfect possibility manager and like doing all those things and being like hurrying up because there's all those steps to do. I'm like, oh, it's, yeah, it's like, it's all neurotic and it's, yeah, so. Thank you. <laughs> Anybody else about that? So. Yeah, I just, when listening, I just really um, realized that as a younger self, I identified or identified with the five first ones. And now I stepped out of that, but instead of stepping into something healthy, I see listening to the five like dark, dark ones. That now this is, I just flipped, like you said, like this flip coin and it's getting me nowhere. But yeah, it's interesting. Thanks. Well, no, wait. I mean, you say it's getting you nowhere, but the suggestion is it does getting you somewhere. It gets you in denial. It gets you neurotic. It gets you out of touch with simple reality. So it, it does get you somewhere. I mean, right. trying to get somewhere is one of the drivers. I've got to get somewhere. We have to get somewhere. It's important to get somewhere. It's just one of the drivers. Well, I guess it just, I meant in terms of like healthy. Like, hey. I, like I gave up these other drivers in some way and I just stay at the same level of healthy. Maybe, okay. I mean, look, there's no, I'm not proposing an answer. I'm just saying, let's question this. Let's observe. Let's self-observe. Let's yeah. note it. Let's see what's really going on. Yeah. What is the purpose? What is the payoff? You know, we have this shadow side. There's huge benefits in the shadow world for all this stuff. Any kind of neurosis is really benefits the shadow world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somebody else had their hand up? Can you hear me? Yes. I'm not sure where the microphone is. I'm trying to find it here. Um, so it's like, um, I, I think there's a distinction to be made between uh, like process and consequence. Like, um, it's like this whole, loving yourself more or life is like what is process and what is consequence and that's like where i think that a lot of this what we'll call it new age spirituality stuff is is kind of falling short it's like sell it's like it's like telling you to to get to the end without going like telling you to be in the end or in the destination without any without going through the path of whatever like it's like yeah loving yourself is is the thing but it's not it's not what you do it's it's the outcome it's the consequence thank you we heard that thank you 
<laughs> I would like. Bypass. Go ahead, Naomi. I would like a definition of neurosis. Maybe you said it, but it's it's just an in, such an interesting word to land in my awareness more. I haven't particularly focused on that myself. And spontaneously, I would say that it's just behavior that's trying to, like Jeff was saying, to ignore the consequence. It's like behaving for behavior's sake in, in, in the fantasy world without, without like just ignoring the consequence. But I, I haven't really worked out a definition. All right, thank you. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, in a way, I've noticed that people who do not consciously promote certain kinds of neurosis are starving themselves in a certain way. Like, and so I started focusing on my, what are my neuroses? So I collect wooden spoons as a neurosis. It's neurotic because I live in a roller bag and I already have four or five little wooden spoons. I don't have room for any more. I can't use them anymore. And I just totally love wooden spoons. I also collect jars, like certain kinds of like peanut butter jars. And I, I, I spend hours, not hours, but I, you know, I scrape the label off to get the, all the gum off, you know, so I can have really nice clean jars for my oats. And it's insane because I'm, you know, we're leaving where we're staying right now. I have to leave all my jars behind. I get up in the middle of the night and I go, my jars, I'm leaving my jars behind. I mean, I just, I just planted seeds, you know, we're living in this place where I put these seeds in the trees in the ground. And I have these beautiful little mamey fruit trees growing and I, and, and I, I love this, it feeds me. There's a neurotic kind of thing and it's neurotic because I'm leaving, you know, I have to, every time I get breadfruit trees growing in my room in Germany, I move to a different country and I have to leave these things with somebody else and they all die probably. So, but it, it's like, it's like not being, like the consequences don't, don't connect to the behavior and yet the behavior feeds me. And so I think there's a way to use your neuroses for fun and profit. So that would be, that would be your job to figure out how to use your neurotic, like your, your insane commitments, your insane, unreasonable kinds of commitments to become a specialist in those kinds of insane commitments and consult other people how to, how to do better at those insane commitments. I mean, in a way, transformation is that. Any kind of evolution or transformation is, a, is a, an interest in something that's, that destabilizes your current reality. Okay, what kind of sense does that make to most people? You're pulling, like somebody said, you pull the rug out from under yourself. Again, you know, okay, how is that possibly fun? I mean, what's the consequence of that? Well, you have fewer rugs. I mean, hey, what good are rugs anyway? Don't have to clean them. So, so the whole neurotic thing, I think it, there's some value in investigating it personally about, because people who don't, who aren't, that kind of neurotic are kind of starving themselves in a certain way. They're, they're normal or, or, or flat or 
It's like bubbly water with no bubbles anymore. It has this weird taste to it. It's like there's a qual their humor sucks. You know, the jokes are really not funny, something like that. There's a so so I would encourage you to ask yourself that question about okay, what are your like give yourself three, four, five really weird little neurotic things and just like I've been I've been I found a button on the ground. It was a big, big black button. So I've been carrying it around in my pocket. Okay, and every time I pull my change out, there's a button in the middle of my change. And so so I have to move the button or I try to offer the button to the guy instead of a euro coin and they always go, no, I don't, I won't take your button. Somebody, maybe they will, I don't know, but but it's like, there are these weird little things. Anyway, how does neurosis and authenticity connect? You can be authentically neurotic. It's about being authentically neurotic. That's what we're talking about. So this is to find your authentic neurosis. And, 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 and indulge it, like indulge the hell out of it. You know, I think, I think, uh, George, what's his name? Who's the guy, like, uh, um, who's the guy who made uh, Avatar movies? James, James Cameron. That guy is neurotic. You know, he's insane neurotic. He loves He's no, he loves uh, uh, sea organisms, you know, and he, and so half of the avatar set on this planet Pandora was, was a uh, sea organisms that grew in the forest, you know, all these, and he transplanted like ocean organisms and he made them come alive in the forest. This is completely insane. And it, it, it's, it fed so many people. It still feeds me. So I think, I think you can use your neurosis. I think they have a purpose. It's authentic neurosis for fun and profit. And it doesn't have to do with fooling people or um, uh, you know, hurting anybody or um, looking insane. But there's this, in show business, we call it shtick. And as a trainer, you need to have develop a shtick. So a shtick is like this, does anybody have a definition for shtick? It's like this thing. You have to have this weirdness about yourself. It's sort of a uniqueness. Do and you need pirate. to say it again. Do your pirate. That's your stick. Yeah. Yeah. Harvey Gar. Yeah, we be sailing down the coast of Africa. All right. So so to develop your shtick so that you you have this access to other spaces when other people are stuck in flatland. I mean, it's like, please, yeah. So, so that's part of your homework this week is to develop your neurosis. Do, you know, figure out what your neuroses are and and do do them a little bit on purpose. Do them a little bit in public. I mean. Mm, There's a there's a thing called legend making, and it has to do with if you're if you you know a lot of you are offering possibility to other people. Okay, so why should people choose you to be their possibility maker? Well, they choose you because they think you're going to do a good job. Okay, well, how do they get the idea that you're going to do a good job for them? Is they hear about you from someone else. 
So how is it possible for somebody to hear about you from someone else? The way it's possible is you do legendary actions. You do actions that cause a wave, that go out into this ripple into the field, and they go out as legends about you. God, this guy did this, or they can do this, or I did this process, and this happened. My whole life is different. And you, you do these legendary actions that causes ripples, and it makes out these legends. And those things are attractive. It's attractive in a way because it's an invitation for possibility. People can get healed. People can get transformed. People can learn something. People can solve problems. People can wake up. People can have a great time. People can play in circumstances that look like they're not made for play. There's a, there's a, so develop, the point is to develop a shtick, develop your neurosis so that you can create the legends that kind of, that people can surf back on towards you for their benefit. It's not for your benefit. It's not marketing. It has nothing to do with marketing. It's, it's possibility needs to be sold. You need to create the possibility of possibility. This is create, people don't get that even possibility is possible. They think that they're going to try to understand something or figure something out or solve a problem. It has nothing to do with possibility, which is usually nonlinear. So you're representing yourself as a non, an agency of nonlinear possibility happens through consciously delivering your neurosis in an awesome way. It's like go awesome with your neurosis. And all of a sudden, people have the possibility to be awesomely neurosis in your company. And this is how you create whole new game worlds and how we'll move into next culture together. It's two minutes before seven o'clock here. We're going to end in two minutes. <laughs> so Naomi, it's something like that, I think, at the moment. Anybody have... A, I have a, a story. Close, oh, yeah. Good story. Yeah, it's a good story. So my my ahead, son, yeah, my son chose to go to school, and he's failing two of his classes. And I said, you know, buddy, um, if this school thing isn't working for you, then let's try something else. You know, you don't have to be in a place where you're failing. Like I know you're smart. And he finally told me the truth. He said, Mom, I, I'm. I'm trying to learn how to only do enough to pass because I have this project. I love what I do. I want to create stories and I want to spend hours every day on this. <laughs> and, and I don't want it to take away from my creativity. If I do hundred percent school, I already know it's going to take away from what I love doing. So I'm just, I'm just going to do this school thing. I want to be in school. I want to socialize. I like, doing these extra activities that school provides, but I really want to do what I want to do. So and when he finally explained that, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're brilliant. Whereas before I'm like, are you a dummy? Like, I know you could do this. So now uh, sometime this after well, next week, I'll meet with a counselor and say, listen, for his entire high school career, he may just want to get D's and like just slide by. And what's like, so then what, what's possible? Like, like, 
could he write his college entry exam, like his essay saying, I just wanted to get D's because I really wanted to do what I love doing, you know? So we'll see, I don't know what that's all about. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for today. Standing ovation. <laughs> Yay. Yay, Mom. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> All right, you guys. Have a great week. See you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being Thank here. Thank you. Thanks for creating this. So much. Thanks for making Thank it possible. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you.